I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hi everybody and welcome to the latest greatest episode of fangirl radio my name is jessica dwyer and i'm your friendly neighborhood host um with me tonight is the lovely and talented rachel moore good evening and also with us tonight is the lovely and talented amanda in place of todd who is also very lovely and talented but he's not here tonight he loves it when we call him lovely. Yes, he does. Amanda is a ghost. Amanda is a ghost. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> exactly. Um, we knew that he was uh, ephemeral, if that's a word. Did I just make up a word? I think I did. But um, in any event, tonight's episode is um, going to be a, a special one. Um, there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything, much like in Doctor Whodom and uh, Star Trek. Um but um, we're going to talk about um, classic comedies and comedians from the golden age of Hollywood way back to the silent film era to the 1930s and throughout. Um, and the reason for this episode, and we're going to talk about a few other things too, but the, the main focus is going to be that. Um, and and it, the, their influence upon uh, current films and um, things going on in Hollywood right now Um but um, the main reason for that is uh, there is quite a f- there are quite a few um, recent films coming out that um, are hearkening back to that golden age of, of Hollywood and use and being very heavily influenced um, by them. And also there is uh, the uh, the um, ab- I, I lovingly call it an abortion of uh, the Three <laughs> Stooges um, that is going to be coming out soon. Um, directed by the Farrelly brothers, I believe, um, that you've probably seen the trailer running around online. Um, wh- we're going to be talking about um, the greats of the silent film era, such as uh, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. And we're also going to talk about one of the most influential comedy groups in, in the history of film, which was the Marx Brothers, as well as the Three Stooges. And... Um, talk about a, a little bit of cover the um the females from the era like Mae West and Mary Pickford um and then we you know their influence upon and um, on all of the the comedians of today and the way that Mae West was sort of the groundbreaking strong very sexual um uh female comedian one of the first and uh I'm really excited about this because I'm a huge Charlie Chaplin fan and as well as all the rest of them, like the Marx Brothers love them. All of these uh, guys are great. And I think it'll be, it'll be a great um, discussion as well. Hopefully some people will come call in tonight. Um, But before we get into that, I did want to cover a couple of things. And one of them is um, the fact that we have a giveaway to tie in with the holiday season. And of course, we love giving stuff away. Love giving stuff away, and um, of course, it can't be a normal Christmas giveaway. It's got to be something mutated and horrible if it's coming from us. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> because that's what we do, um, and that is uh, the guys over at um, Infinite Santa Eight Thousand, which is a great web series, um, which is about Santa Claus fighting zombies in a post-apocalyptic wasteland while he's half cyborg. Um, as I said, it can't be normal or non-mutated. Okay, isn't that how it is normally? I, I don't understand. 
Mike and Greg are great friends of mine, and they, they've done some great work with this show, and they're getting ready to release Infinite Santa 8000, the movie. Um, and uh, that's just awesome for a, a web series to get to that point where they can do a film. Um, but they've released a DVD of the first episodes in a volume one of Infinite Santa 8000. It's a great DVD. It's it's packed full of, of goodies and extras and things like that. And, you know, it's um, the guys loaded us up for bear. We've got a bunch of these to give away. And we're going to make it really simple. If you want to, if you want a DVD, shoot me an email with your address, and we'll send you out a DVD. We've also got, we'll give these away in little packs because, in little prize packs because we've also got um, some videos, music videos from the other uh, feature that the guys did called Driving Horror Show, which is a great anthology movie. And you should also find that, um, I believe it's on Netflix now, and uh, or you can go buy it um, off of their website, drivinghorrorshow.com, I believe is the website address. And we've also got um, soundtracks from Driving Horror Show, which has got some great, great music on it. So these are um, some awesome prize packs we're going to give away. If you want them, we're making it simple. Just send us an email with your your name, address, and we'll send them off to you. We've got a bunch of them to give away, so I'll give them out until we're empty of them. And uh, so, happy Christmas. How, how much easier could we have made this? We couldn't make it any easier. I mean, this we're is... We're giving stuff away. We're giving it away, like hotcakes, you know. Come on, it's Christmas with a cyborg Santa. Come mm-hmm. on. Really, what is Christmas without a cyborg Santa? And I, I have to say I'm very happy and proud of the fact that I kind of helped inspire the, the movie plot because Santa Claus is going to fight a mutant Easter bunny. <laughs> How awesome is that? Oh, it makes me happy. Um, and, and speaking of mutant things... Um, also, let me just mute things. Uh, let me give you my email address. You can email me at jessica at fangirlmag.com. Um, and just shoot me your name e- and your address, and I'll send it off to you. But also mutated things um, I wanted to talk about real quick is the Dracula 3D trailer. Oh, no. That got The really- Mickey movie? It's, it's basically, I, like I said on Facebook um, and on the, on the uh, fangirl... Uh, magazine um, posting of it. Uh, it's not really a teaser. It's basically the entire movie in two and a half minutes. And Same. what? What a movie! I'm not quite sure what drugs Dario Argento's on, but I want some. It doesn't look finished at all, and so well, I'm it's not. It's it's, it's it's not, and it even says that on there. But. Why would you release it that rough? If unless, but I, I I'm trying to figure out. And like every, uh, Javanka uh, also pointed this out, and I'm trying to figure out the hell it is. There's like a praying mantis that shows up and attacks a guy, and ah, uh, where did the praying mantis come from in Transylvania? The giant praying mantis. <laughs> The giant print mantis in Transylvania. I'm, I, but really, I guess it's not Transylvania now. They're all in Italy. I don't know. It's it's kind of a freakish thing and, and kind of frightening. <laughs> but Rachel got to see it. I don't know if Ren got to see it, but Rachel got to no, see it. I don't. I I I I, I, I want to see this movie now. It hurts. I I want to see it though. It's like it's so much of a clusterfuck I have to see it <laughs> what is what is our boy doing in that movie oh Which you're talking one? about Hobo with a shotgun Rutger Hauer yes Rutger Hauer uh, Rutger Hauer's playing Van Helsing in this movie but I mean what is he doing in this like really well, look at Thomas Kretschem is playing is playing Dracula and that Hang man on, can on. act Rachel and- I think I have to snap you into reality here you're, you're applying maybe a skosh too much respect to that man's uh, movie choices. I I just think he's he's way more it's epic Rutger than he gives Howard. himself credit for. Rucker Hauer is amazing. He and, is. And, and he, he makes fun and, choices. And, and I, he does things knowing that they're not going to be, you know, <laughs> A-list movies because he thinks they're funny or he wants to do it or he needs to pay yeah, his mortgage. So, like, you so know. I question why he's in this film. 
just because it's it there's it doesn't seem ironic at all you know it doesn't oh. seem I, I think he's doing it because he's he's done the vampire routine. Now he's on the other side of it. Um, and he's also... Fall I mean, this is the man. He's, he's such a badass that he shows up, I think it was at Sundance, toting a shotgun on stage with him <laughs> uh, when they were getting ready to show a hobo with a shotgun. And mm -hmm. he, he's also the man that, that he improvised the entire um, dialogue that he did at the end of... Blade Runner. I mean, the man is epic. He, I, I think he's just doing this for shits and giggles. Yeah. But uh, I'm kind of like, wow. <laughs> you know, he I seems could see to do him. A lot of things for shits and giggles. That I could see be... him. Well, I could see him though. This movie, I'm trying to figure out what the hell Argento is trying to do with this. If it's if it's in jest, if it's supposed to be serious what it is i guess we won't know until it's completely done um but i could totally i could totally buy rucker howard playing a serious van helsing role in a serious version of dracula because he's that cool i mean he's he he has that icy demeanor he can pull it off he's aged pretty well i think he looks good for his age i think he could totally do the physicality so i i hope I, there's after seeing the the giant praying mantis. I don't know if that's a joke that someone did on this, or if that's really in the movie. <laughs> I hope so. I kind of hope it is in the movie. Maybe. I want to know how the hell they're going to explain it. <laughs> Maybe Dracula's got a giant bug eater in thrall, and so he needs giant bugs. Uh, I, this is true. It could be something a pet of Renfield. <laughs> I, I, I never thought of that. Thank you, Ren. You brought some. You brought some form uh, of logic to it. Yay! <laughs> Only but, your unique mind could, could oh have found God. that out. That's it's awesome. hilarious. So, um, that being said, go check it out, and it's on. Um, we've we've got it up on Fangirl Magazine, uh, FangirlMag.com. Go check out the trailer. Let us know what you think is behind the giant praying mantis of Transylvania. Which I would watch that movie too. By the way, giant praying mantis of Transylvania. That's that's the spinoff. That's the spin. Yes, he has his own sequel. Yeah. He has the yeah. spin-off of <laughs> Oh, the gypsies fighting him. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but um, on to our our main focus for the night, which is um, the classic comedians of old school Hollywood. And um, I think we're gonna start with Ren because Keaton and Chaplin kind of started pretty close together but i'm going to give ren a chance to to go into um the wonder that is buster keaton okay well um i wanted to do a big giant research thing about the the whole thing about the man but he there's so much to cover and i mean you could say it just in general that he's awesome um but to 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 elaborate any further than that is painful because you don't feel like you can really talk about all the aspects of the awesome. But one of the things that I just watched that I really loved, and I thought I would maybe just talk about this particular picture specifically and hope that that illustrates the levels of awesome. Um, it's a short film, and by short I mean a half an hour, called The Playhouse. And it's one of his funniest shorts. I mean, I cracked a couple of good laughs watching it just this afternoon. Um, I mean, some of them are just some of them are just like uh, literal pun, not a, not a literal pun, but it's like he walks up to work and he looks at the punch clock on the wall and it says punch clock. So he just like in a split second, perfect comic timing, he looks at it and then he punches it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's stupid, but it made me laugh really hard. Um, but I like that kind of humor anyway. Uh, the reason why this is such a cool film is because it opens up with him um, going to see a play and you're watching the people on stage and the people in the, in the orchestra and you go well, hang on that guy playing the um playing the cello looks a lot like Keaton and then you go well, wait, wait a second the guy next to him playing the drums he looks a lot like Keaton too um and and the more they cut to the rest of the orchestra you go hang on a second the all the orchestra is Keaton and then they get up on stage and all the nine men on stage are Buster Keaton and this is made in 1921 <laughs> so this is there's no computer graphics at all. I mean, like nothing remotely like that. It's so much fun, and you can't see the seams. And he's doing 
and then after you're watching the play a bit, they start to cut to different people in the in the box the box seats as they're reacting to the stage and having their own little interactions with each other. Like one of them, a lady pours out her drink and it falls on the guy below him, and they're all Buster Keaton, even the women, <laughs> even the women, <laughs> even the women, and it's hilarious. So for the first like ten minutes of this. Um, it's just kind of a growing joke until one of the people is looking at his playbill and it shows, you know, the, all the names of the performers, Buster Keaton, and all the staff of Buster Keaton is Buster Keaton. And um, uh, <laughs> the, the, the trick of this is, the genius of this is, it was done by uh, a really great in-camera trick that he himself invented. And it was something he actually kept a secret for a couple of decades. He didn't really tell people how he'd done it. But it was, um, I mean, like, marvelously, geniusly simple. He'd invented a kind of a, a gate, like a cover, on the front of the camera that had nine very precise um, vertical slats uh, that would cover the lens. And then what he did is he positioned that camera to, like, say, uh, to, to film the nine versions of himself on stage. And then he, he set a, a metronome to precisely time his performance which of course didn't matter because it was a silent film, so it wouldn't get picked up on you know on any on any sound recording. And then they would open the left hand most gate, and he'd do his entire performance. And then they'd close that gate, open the one right next to it, and he'd do it again. And and so uh, filming it nine times, and of course having to rewind the film in the camera manually. So manually going, you know, rolling it to where it needed to be to press record again. Um, just a marvelous technological achievement for 1921, and the effect is seamless. It's seamless, and it is so hilarious because it, it doesn't just uh, blast you in the face from the beginning. You you really do kind of catch on slowly and going, oh, you sc scratch your chin and say, is that is that guy with the low low dress? Is that Keaton? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's really a, it's really a, an achievement. Um, the rest of the film is not all Keaton, but it's hilariously funny. Um, I love the man because his physicality, his physical humor is probably unmatched. I mean, maybe rivaled by Chaplin, and some might argue who's better, but my personal favorite is Keaton. And some of the things that he would do that uh, were comedy stunts were also like stunt stunts? I mean, oh, yeah. one of the things, just in the playwright, um, he's pretending to be a monkey, genius monkey uh, I I imitation, by the way, just all of a sudden, all of his limbs and his bowed legs, and he's just walking around like a chimp. It was just uncanny. But he is escaping from the guy he's performing with. He climbs up the side of the stage, gotta be 20 feet high, and the side of the stage wall, the little set, comes down, and he just rides that fake little wall as it as it plummets from being straight upright to flump right on the floor and he, there's no wire or anything he's just happens to be perched up on the top of it and it hits the ground and he rode the whole thing all the way down i mean i just and it was probably nothing and well not nothing but near nothing it, it's the kind of thing that they would do back then is these sort of grand physical things with um well, yeah, they way less have... way less regard to safety precautions than we currently take today. Um, but the the way he achieves them is is jaw dropping because of how easy he makes it look. I mean, he just did a twenty foot fall off the side of you know riding the side of a wall, and just you know popped right back up and pretending to be a monkey. Still unbelievable. I think he's a genius. Well, I, I, I'm not the only one who thinks he's a genius, but the um. The incredible physicality, both in his stunts and just in his timing, uh, paired with his ability to make these, um, he was a filmmaker as well, and, and obviously a genius brain to create these technological feats. He's up there one of the greats of all time. Well, and, and I mean, it's icon he's an icon, he and, and oh, all yeah. these guys from that time. I mean, you I can't think of... You know, I, I look at comedians nowadays, and I'm trying to figure out how they can, li you know, have the long-livedness of these guys. Because he's, mm -hmm. Keaton started almost 100 years ago in film. I mean, it's, if you look, it's 1921, oh, yeah. you know, 90, 90, yeah, years. 90 years, and you, we're still talking about him. And he's still 
considered one of the greats and I can't think of anyone that really can rival these guys that truly was a, a, a magical period of Hollywood and 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 Keaton lived you know his his work went from 21 he he did um well and also I I want to I wanted to point out too that you know you can see you can see the the um the way he inspired some current people in, in today's films especially like Jackie Chan uh, mm-hmm. with with the way he could you know basically fluid movement and just mm-hmm. making it look that's got to be fake but it's well, not you know and he wasn't just showing off that hey I can do these things because he mm-hmm. he definitely did a lot of stunts that even at the time a lot of people would have found some way to fake but to incorporate it into his art that it was always mm. funny or it was always pertinent and he was always acting while he was doing it I mean it it, yeah. it really is an amazing thing yeah that I think that was the key that he wasn't just like stopping and going look it's a stunt it was completely seamlessly worked into whatever character whatever his character was doing at the moment the fact that he was a monkey at the same time the wall was falling down it's brilliant with what you have now if not more so because it was just you know that was people latched onto these celebrities and there was a lot less of a um well i guess there was more of a a morality um based he was just besieged with um with uh, the scandals and and things like that but when he first started um he he just he started in um in in england and came overseas and just became he created this iconic character in the little tramp and um became probably one of the biggest celebrities ever um thanks to that that character and why I wanted to bring up the the fact that he had all of these um, scandals and, and things is and towards the end of his career, well, not really the end of his career, but towards the towards the time he actually went into exile for um, some of these transitions or trans things that he did. Um, he sort of um, took this massive career and this iconic character that he created and just destroyed it on purpose and um what he created was one of the most ballsy moves i've ever heard of which was the great dictator Mm. in a time when um because um chaplin never came out and said for sure if he was jewish or not um when hitler was in power and on the rise and this whole world war ii thing was just going on um he created a film that was a comedy, but was also the biggest F you to one of the most powerful men in the world at the time, which was Adolf Hitler and with the great dictator. And he also was just slapping in the face all of these people that, that were trying to, you know, like the warmongers and, and, and everything, because he was very much, he was like a very much a pacifist in one way and a humanist. And um, at the end of that film, he has one of the most amazing speeches that you could that has ever been recorded um and that was sort of amazing that you think that one of the biggest silent screen actors in the world when he talked he talked and there was something powerful that came out of him um and he definitely used this film as a way to get across you know people why are we murdering one another slaughtering one another he was he was making a point of soldiers you know fight for your fellow man don't fight your fellow man fight for him that kind of thing and um chaplin uh there was so much more to him than just you know a slapstick comedian and he, he was more than that and um when when after the great dictator happened um he was still he was sort of blacklisted in hollywood and um people just didn't know what to do with this man you know they they what i got from all of this in his life was that you know back then you you you're supposed to be the funny dude funny dude go be funny you know don't don't talk about serious issues you know where do you get off telling us any of this um and then um so he kind of he he went he kind of went away and he created a film and wrote and starred in it and directed it called Monsieur Verdoux, um, where he played a serial killer. 
Nice. Uh, so Charlie Chaplin played a serial killer, and he was sort of he was a bluebeard in it, which you know he killed wives, and he used this film as a way to pretty much put the nail in the coffin of the little tramp. Um, but in that film, he talked about uh, it. W- it was sort of a you know he was very sore about how he was treated um in hollywood and and everything and in the film it was basically his character of Mr. Verdue um says you know i'm when he gets captured and 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 you know he's going to be executed uh they're trying to tell him how he's uh, a villain and he's he's a a killer and and he's like well what do you mean i'm a killer what you know depending on where you're at i guess you know these these generals send out these people to die and we kill millions and or you know and wars so it just depends on where you're at i guess because the whole reason his character was killing marrying women and killing them was to help feed his child and his wife who was in a wheelchair and was very sick so it was it was a pretty strong statement and it was a very black comedy because he did kill people in it and at the end as he's led to the gallows and everything he actually works in the little tramp walk so you're seeing the little tramp go to his death you know this you know the defeated character going to the gallows and um that wasn't his last film by any means he did a, a few more after that um and he did get to return to the States after being uh, sort of in exile in, in, I believe it was Switzerland, um, for, uh, for uh, the, the 1972 Oscars where he was just just touching scene of him hmm. just crying as, as he had, he, even, he got the longest, the um, longest standing ovation in Oscar history. It was 12 minutes. Oh, wow. while, he st- while he stood on stage for this and got an uh, honorary Oscar. But uh, Chaplin just, he's, he was one of those massive, one of the first massive international superstars like that. Um, and, and I find his story, I find him as a person amazing. I thought he, just the, the rags to riches that he did and just sort of the self-destruction that he specifically did to make a point. Um, and, uh, you know, the man was just an amazing person. Um, so Chaplin, you know, it's one of those things where you, you have a comedian who comedy can be used for so many things and he used it for all of them. And I dare anybody to watch the kid and not cry as that child is taken from him. By the way, that child was Jackie Coogan, who also went on to be Uncle Fester in the Adams Family. But, um that is just one of those things you know that power of comedy and how it can get into your soul like that and and when uh, the person who's you know in front of that camera knows how to wield it they wield it well and Chaplin was one of those guys and I'll you know that's why he's still to this day inspiring so many people and why Robert Downey Jr. who brought him to life in in a great film uh, based on his life still says I'm still learning from this guy Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> I, I have nothing more to say about that. That was pretty comprehensive, my friend. <laughs> but um, Rachel now, um, she has uh, some words about the other, um, one of the, to this day, one of the biggest comedy acts in all of film, the Marx Brothers. The Marx Brothers. Marx Brothers were um, five actual brothers that were first-generation Americans. Their parents were from France and Germany, and they worked the vaudeville circuit for a very long time. They all started out as musicians, um, and we'll we'll refer to them by their stage names because it's less confusing. There's Chico, Harpo, Groucho, Gummo, and Zeppo. And so originally Harpo... Gummo! No, there was Gummo. I, I know. It's just funny. Gummo actually didn't last very long um, because he went to World War One to actually get out of acting. He said anything's better than being an actor and went off to be. Wow. Um, and so that's, and actually that's how Zeppo started with them. But they all started out as musicians, especially Harpo, who can play at least six different instruments. And, Is uh, one of them the harp? It is, actually. 
Oscar. And then Chico is life. the chick chaser, the chicken chaser. He he loved his women. And Groucho was a guitarist and a singer. And Chico, of course, um, famously played the piano. And Zeppo sang. And um, one night when they were in Texas, they had a horrible interruption happen to them while they were performing. And it was a mule outside causing some kind of riot. And, <laughs> and Groucho was ticked off, so we started making snide comments. And it just got way more of a reaction than their music did, so they decided to focus on comedy. Zeppo actually was kind of, his character was the straight man to Groucho's kind of sarcastic, rapid-fire um, wit. And then Chico had kind of the comedic ladies' man and always kind of on top of uh, being kind of like Animal and the Muppets, loving the ladies, he always, <laughs> usually the thief. And then Harpo, the who did everything in mime, along mm -hmm. with a, a little uh, horn that he would honk. Amazing, amazing mime. And eventually Zeppo decided he wasn't the funny one and left. But they always had a Zeppo character in all their sketches and all their movies. After uh, Zeppo left, they always had a Zeppo character. And in real life, all the brothers said that Zeppo was the truly funny one. And <laughs> he was this great impressionist. And at one point, Groucho got sick on, uh, on the set of one of their movies. And, and Zeppo actually filled in for him. Wow. Um, he did as good of a Captain Spaulding that they did the scene a little bit darker. And um, they actually made, worked in a power failure so he could into the, <laughs> so that he could play that while, while Groucho was out of commission. Um, so they did theater for many years and then under, I believe, MGM did... Oh, no, I'm sorry, Paramount um, originally, and then MGM, they did movies that were that were smash hits. And then um, Groucho, they all went on to continue performing after the, the unofficial dissolution of the Marx Brothers, but especially Groucho um, was really beloved. I, the only thing I can compare it to is how Stephen Fry is in Britain now. He had his own, you know, um, quiz show. He was... Mm -hmm the guests to have on because of his quick wit he was easygoing lovable enough but still you know his whole thing was kind of grouchy old man with the heart of gold well his and his uh quiz, quiz show lasted for like how long it was forever you bet your life, you bet your life was on for like what yeah. 10 years yeah, yeah and what's my time? line mm -hmm. he did what's my line as well and um yeah, but he, he became a bit of an institution. I mean, with the crazy mustache and eyebrows and cigar, he was sort of the most visually iconic of the four. Um, and he was sort of always the, the leader-ish of the group, so it sort of made sense that he'd be the one um, to, to sort of... When you think of Marx, the first image to come to your mind is of Groucho. Well, and to me, it's one of those places of great comedy comes out of great pain. I mean, they were raised the children of immigrants, not with a lot of money, working from a very young age. And just as they started to gain some um, some money and some different things, uh, the, stock the stock market crash hit. And that's where Groucho had invested everything. And so they went on after that to make some of their best shows ever. And to me, what's really special about them is their versatility. They had that great old vaudeville sense of you have to sing you have to dance you have to be funny you have to be able to act really well and you have to do it in breakneck speed and they mm -hmm. did that on screen and off i mean i think there's that famous story that they had to be kept on a cage at one point <laughs> <laughs> they would lock them up because they would go off chico would go off chasing girls between takes and croucho would be off schmoozing with everybody and they just couldn't find harpo and uh, <laughs> but they were they were kind of they were a huge deal. They were you know, um, I, it's an insult to compare it. But uh, the Judd Apatow crowd of their their day because everybody wanted them. They were the ideal guests to have, and they made a lot of money for their time period. Um, I think it was Harpo that saw this beautiful little girl playing um, baseball near the lot where they were filming a movie and he was just taken with her and went over and found her parents and offered them an exorbitant amount of money to to adopt her. <laughs> Seriously? 
And Seriously? the said no. They were fortunately not that uh, embarrassed, but just this exorbitant amount because he just wanted to adopt this little girl who later turned out to be Shirley Temple. Aww. But, uh, That's a good eye. Really, I, I've read Groucho's um, autobiography about, you know, 18, 19 times. And <laughs> so there's a lot of really amazing people that they touched in the span of their... I mean, Lucille Ball acted with them early on, um, Dick Cavett, um, and weirdly, they have all these other, because of the, they're an old vaudeville family, Mary Livingston was their cousin, who, of course, um, her name was actually Sadie Marks, but she married Jack Benny, and Jack well, Benny and Mary Livingston did quite a bit together, too. And I have to point out, too, that Groucho, specifically, just they were, like, really um, spicy, in their comedy like Groucho mm -hmm. got away with saying some stuff that was like whoa you know you go back and you watch their films now and he was like a little a little you know a little shit he got away with like <laughs> saying some stuff that was really um yeah it got past censors that I time quite a bit well a lot of yeah. times it was because he said the lowbrow thing in the highest brow way possible and so <laughs> well and speaking of brows picked up on it and speaking of brows, he discovered one of the one of the absolute gems of comedy knowledge, which is you can say anything if you raise your eyebrows after you're done saying it. I mean, <laughs> oh, the seriously. brow cock! The brow yeah. cock makes everything better. And, and, and uh, you can get away with saying it if you kind of do the you know raise the eyebrows up and down and up and down. I mean, I mean that's the moment you do that, the whole audience goes from offense to laughing their faces off. It's fantastic, and he he was the one to 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 do that first, and everybody does that now. Well, well and I want to. Oh, go ahead. They he they really did very um, often worry people <laughs> when they performed, especially if it was performing live, because you wouldn't know what they would say, and they did say things that were risque, and they did say things that were towing the line of what was politically correct at the time, and. Well, and I, I like the fact that um, I have to point out that they had one of the most, you know, one of the most iconic females um, in, in, in film at the time, which was Margaret Dumont, um, who always played the, the, the stoic poor woman, you know, trying to be the upper class um, dame, as it were, to Groucho's um, character. And she... Um, Groucho would call her uh, later on the fifth Marx brother because she was like in almost every one of their mo most famous films. And uh, she was so great at playing the straight, um, very upper crust um, gal to his, you know, foil to his, his um, Captain Spaulding. Right. So I, I wanted to point her out because, you know, um, there are women in there. So, <laughs> so everybody has really... Um, strong opinions about which Marx Brothers film you should see. And Animal Crackers and Coconuts are probably the most iconic, but my favorite, well, and Duck Soup, I mean, they're all really iconic, but um, one of my favorites is actually a post-Zeppo film. It's called Room Service, um, and that was one of their RKO. And that film, since I was small to this very day, there are scenes in that, that film that can just floor me. It can just make me laugh till I'm absolutely helpless. And um, funny side note is Ann Miller's in that. And she recorded that as a love interest when she was only 14. Oh, and, wow. Um, <laughs> it was a big deal that nobody knew she was 14. She only told... Um, only told Groucho, who promptly forgot it. He didn't <laughs> care. <laughs> reminded him years later and said, thank you for not telling anybody. And he went, oh, I didn't know. Well, he wasn't well, her love interest, but... Um, so Ball was in that one too, Lucille right? Ball's in that one as well. And it's just a great farce about, um, you know, out of, out of luck actors, directors trying to um, keep their hotel room and keep from getting kicked out by... Uh, by faking sickness and death and hijinks, <laughs> and there's a great uh, there's a great turkey Harpo versus the turkey scene that should not be <laughs> forgotten. It's I'm, not the greatest effect at all, but it's fantastic. I'm trying to remember which one had that scene where like about fifty people end up in that little stateroom on the ship, oh and God. I'm I'm blanking on it. I can't remember which one, but that's like one of the most hilarious 
things I've ever watched. And they and they eventually open the door and they all end up falling out into the hallway. <laughs> is that that's not a night in Casablanca, is it? No. Um uh. I wanna say it was like it was like Oh, I'm I'm a horrible person. I don't. Oh, remember. it's probably one of the earlier ones. Where it's one of the it's one of the earlier ones because I I had it on DVD, and I can't remember because I'm horrible. The, the one either. joke that's, the joke that sticks in my brain just because I was so floored by it when I saw it as a kid was and and I can't even remember quite how it began. It was it was just Groucho and he was expecting a, a, a someone to come and join him in a restaurant for a meal and it was for some pleasant reason either it was for a pleasant reason or he was coming to apologize and while Scratcher was waiting for this guy to arrive he was out loud speaking you know through his thoughts and he goes in a in a steady progression from being quite happy to see this man to you know asking certain questions and then getting offended at possible answers until when the guy arrives he's absolutely fucked off at this man and he yells at him. I think he punches him straight out when he when he walks through the door he just punches him in the face. But the 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 thought processes, the everything he was thinking and then well you know, I'm he's glad to see me, isn't he? He should be glad to see me. Maybe he's not glad to see me. You know, like this hilarious <laughs> And he probably improved it. I mean that's gradual oh, for yeah. you. You know, it's it's uh it's great. One of my in uh room service one of the great scenes is where they're they realize that you can't kid, kick a sick person out of a hotel room so they're making <laughs> this poor kid fake sick and it just gets <laughs> to this level where the kid freaks out and can't keep it up so he uh he pretends to die <laughs> they all they all get around the bed and of course groucho says no no we can't take him out we have to do his eulogy right now <laughs> so they started too soon, too soon. He died too soon, and Groucho goes about twenty minutes too soon. <laughs> oh, and I find it, I figured it out. It was a night at the opera because they oh, all got like yeah. Fiorello and those names and right. and everything. So yeah, it was a night at the opera, and, and and that scene is actually somebody posted it on YouTube because it's such an awesome scene. <laughs> it's just the thing is, I think, um, I think you just. Not everybody likes slapstick, and not everybody likes mime work, and not and that the beauty of the Marx Brothers to me is that they offer all those things in mm-hmm. a very short amount of time to whatever kind of audience mm-hmm. you know wants to watch it. Whereas you know, growing up, it took me a long time to appreciate Keaton and Chaplin, and to this day, I don't get the Three Stooges. I have to be honest, but. Um, but the Marx Brothers, you know, I, I feel like I could show anyone one of those movies and they'd have a great time. Well, they meshed. Me, I, yeah. Sorry. Oh, go, I, <laughs> I was, was going to say they meshed so much stuff together that was amazing, you know, and they did it all well. Mm-hmm. They they were masters at everything they did on screen. So it was pretty amazing. And And I think it's that wide variety, what Rachel was just describing, that probably of the three here tonight it pr- makes them the most comedically accessible to today's audience. I mean, they're all brilliant. I mean, nobody would ever argue that point. But, you know, if you're not, if you're not familiar with silent film, if you've never watched a silent comedy before, you, the, the, the humor might, you have to kind of get into that head, headset. But the Marx Brothers, you could, anybody could sit down to that today and, and just instantly be laughing. Well, and they they perfected the formula comedy. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, speaking of the night of the opera, that's where they really came up. They all came together, and they were always the oddballs, but they always helped the pretty couple. And there was usually singing by the pretty couple. Mm-hmm. And Harpo, at some point, somewhere, always found a harp. Didn't matter where they were. <laughs> and Chico always found a, a piano and got yeah. to shoot the key. Yeah, you know, and you know Groucho. One thing that I want to say about Groucho is he carried on the great vaudeville tradition of grease paint. Everybody was trying to get him to change over to a fake mustache, and later in life he grew a mustache. But he that grease paint mustache is so. I mean, when you go to a comedy club, when people talk about comedy, eventually that that glasses, big nose grease paint style mustache you know giant eyebrows yep yes and a cigar square eyebrows (laughs) 
and a cigar is always so, important. So yeah, to me, we, we were a Marx Brothers family. We were never a Three Stooges family. And I maybe I missed that train when I was young enough to appreciate them. But I don't, I still don't really. But I know that there's a, um, there's a Three Stooges movie and I, coming out. And when the trailer, <sighs> people either really <laughs> seem to really um, react strongly. And I'm like, I don't know. Well, the, pr- the, thing with the, the thing with the Three Stooges, and, 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 and uh, I showed the, the trailer, I finally told my husband, you have to see this just so you can feel my anger. Um, it, and he agreed. He's like, that, that just, they just, they look like them, but they don't get it. And, and that is, the Three Stooges, there's something special. Those guys pretty much, you know, really, they originated slapstick. I, I don't think, you, you would not have Evil Dead, you wouldn't have Sam Raimi, any of, the, you can thank the Three Stooges for those guys, yeah, and you can thank the Three Stooges for pretty much Mel Brooks and, and all of those films, and anything slapstick, those guys were the people that laid the groundwork. Um, I don't know that they invented it, but they probably invented the relentless, ridiculous, over the they, top. Where they were like, living cartoons. I yes, mean, they yes. th- they really did, and and no one else has ever been like that. I mean, you've yeah. got Abbott Costello, but those guys weren't on the level of the Stooges, and and mm-hmm. and to this day, you're never gonna find um, those guys are just as iconic as the Marx Brothers. Um, they're as iconic as Chaplin, mm-hmm. um, and because no one ever looked like that. And and the fact that they just really were living cartoons, and mm-hmm. whatever they did, it was special. Something these guys had it, and they were good at it. They were funny, and it's one of those things where Saturday mornings, growing up, even to me, and it was like however many years later, like fifty, sixty years later, after they had already done this, I could sit down and watch it and laugh my ass off. Mm-hmm. And and it's still to this day, people can sit down and watch the Three Stooges and laugh their ass off, and they got it. And and the problem I think I have, and I know a lot of other people have with this movie. Um, first of all, we were told that there was going to be a biopic, and there was a wonderful biopic done on ABC that that uh, talked about the the Stooges and their lives, and 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 it was just a really really good story because of none other rags to riches kind of thing and it talked about vaudeville and all their struggles to because they never could break free of being the stooges mm-hmm. right um but uh it was a great film well we were told there was going to be a biopic with like benicio del toro was going to play mo right um, a sean penn was going to play um i think larry yeah um and and so on but it, Jim Carrey, right? Jim yeah, Carrey yeah, was going to play Curly, I think. Yeah. Um, and and because uh, actually Curly Joe was the good-looking one. That was what was so funny, and they made him shave his head because he was too good-looking. Yeah. Um, but that didn't happen. What we've got is this Fairly Brothers movie where it's in current day, Snooky or whatever the hell her name is from Jersey Shore <laughs> shows up. In it. You're really stuck on that part. I honestly think she's probably in that movie for maybe 45 seconds. It, I have no idea. 40, but I I'll think put she's money perfect to be in that movie. I don't 45 know. seconds is way too long for her to be in anything. <laughs> and 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 even if it is having her being her having her eyes poked out, she probably made 45 grand for that 45 seconds, which is an atrocity in itself. It's amazing but, how many people who I mean, the whole cast of Jersey Shore is on it, to be honest. But other than them, Larry David and Gene Lynch are you know attached to this film, and you're going, was it just because that's how powerful the brand of the Three Stooges is, or and the Farley Brothers brand? That's that that's not to be discounted. You put the two that's together, true. and this probably. But, a lot of people who thought yeah, was but a, you a look thing. at this thing and it looks it, it just doesn't feel right. It feels horrible to me <laughs> watching it, and, and you know it's like an affront, you know, and 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 you laugh, but how would you feel if the Marx Brothers was done that way? Oh no, I I totally agree. I just you know I think it's one of those things where slapstick is such an old art you know it started out in the Commedia dell'art and and punch and judy you know mm-hmm. i mean back when it was literally slapping people with sticks and and the evolution of it can be quite subtle 
to the Fairley brothers, Dumb and Dumber. I mean, in some ways, just from the spirit of how people feel about Three Stooges, Dumb and Dumber is almost a better homage than making yeah. a bad Three Stooges movie. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the other, the people we didn't bring up, but I think we would totally be remiss not to bring up Laurel and Hardy. Because right. they, they basically created the whole, you know, little guy big guy who talks a lot genre and you wouldn't you wouldn't had abbott and costello if not for those guys right and but laurel and hardy it, it's one of those things where if you try to make a laurel and hardy film there's no way to squeeze it into modern day you know because they are so built around their look and the three stooges they they've been able to extrapolate that look without any of the charm and no that that's I, totally missing that and and I, I, you guys will probably hate me, but I'm just going to be the voice of the devil's advocate here and say, I saw it, and I am undecided. I think that it probably could be as bad as you guys are saying, but I'm reserving judgment, because I did laugh. I'm sorry, I laughed at Snooki getting her eyes poked, because it's still a good gag. It's a hundred-year-old <laughs> gag, and it's still funny. So, it didn't make, see, I don't have the upsetness from it because I wasn't a Three Stooges fan. You know, to me, there's the eye poke and there's the funny hair, and that's what I see in the trailer. Yeah. But that's why I was interested as a fan why it, you know, why it's so upsetting. And, and really maybe, the, that's, maybe that's why I'm not as upset because I do respect them, I do laugh at them, but I, I haven't been a long-time fan of them. They're not, they're not as special to me as, say, Keaton or the Marx Brothers. So... Um, I'm skeptical, but I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it and see if I laugh. Let's see. And the thing is, if you see the actual, you know, you you go to these iconic place, you know, these icons of of comedy, and not just comedy, but you know, if you go back and revisit these actors and these uh, the acts with that ABC produced miniseries, I got to see these guys brought back, and it was done in a way that was you you got to see these routines done again and they were done mm-hmm. well michael chiklis played um uh curly and nice. uh, and he did an amazing job it it was paul ben victor played mo and he dead on he he did a great it was all really well done and i liked how they did it they they it didn't feel forced these guys were trying to channel these these characters and while i say that they were like living cartoon characters um i what i'm getting from this fairly brothers movie is that's all there is they're just this and there's no life to it there's no there's no spark it just feels like poo and 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 how it feels like poo to me and 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 maybe i'm wrong but honestly think any modern day comedian could recapture what those people with vaudevillian backgrounds had i I I think you know what here's the thing here's the thing i I think if sam raimi were given the reins to a three stooges movie i think he could do it well, well and here's the thing. When you look at, say, the movie Chaplin, you know, the Oscar-winning Robert right. Downey Jr. vehicle. Amazing. But yeah. here's the thing. He never, I mean, Chaplin had this charm and this something about him that mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. definitely related to and tapped into, but he wasn't Chaplin at any point. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no point where I'm like, oh, I'm looking at Chaplin. He was amazing. It was a great, um, he was perfect to play it. Yeah. But all I wanted was that that feeling and he delivered that you know and, well, and delivered the serious side and so I think the problem that we see with a lot of this is that um, there's we're not looking for someone to straight up impersonate three stooges or whomever we're looking for that feeling that it gave us mm-hmm. to to watch it and that's why I think a biopic like you said would have been for the hardcore fans maybe a little more interesting well, and I, was, I, but you know, with 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 Chaplin, I think he nailed it. I think he he and I I almost want to say that that movie sort of helped save his life at the mm-hmm. time where when he played it because it gave him some focus and um, he was able to in the movie you know Chaplin battles his demons with his sure. you know interest for younger women and all of that and I think it gave Downey a little bit more focus to to battle his own demons that they he had going on at the time. And he captured it. And um, 
he recreated yeah. those scenes from those movies and it was it was amazing and it was done with love and care i don't get love and care from this i get get hey let's hey we got a uh uh we can buy the the three stooges name and likenesses quick let's make a, a crappy movie um yeah, while see, we can't because it came out far. of the blue how quickly them- did that get made well, I give them a tiny bit more respect and credit because I know that any actor who is asked to play a role that, that is an icon of an industry like the comedy industry is going to understand the weight of the task that they've just been given. And those guys playing the Stooges in the new movie probably did their damnedest to pay as great greater respect as they possibly could and to capture the magic of the Stooges. Now, whether or not they were successful is another question and that's why I was coming back to the thing of uh, no matter how hard a modern-day comedian may try to capture that magic whatever skills that that people used to do that now we do with machines those skills are 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 waning in the in the public you know people that make chairs and crap I can't think of a good example but do you see what I'm saying like I don't think that they they botched it on purpose I don't think that anybody went lightly into a picture where they're depicting an icon of comedy but they probably just tried really hard and maybe missed the mark well i i think it's it's one of those things where you know we have seen so many trailers um lately that either show a completely different movie than we end up seeing or we now live in an era where if people react badly to the trailer they can go back and recut re-edit the movie i mean Mm -hmm. it's amazing um but to, to segue a little bit, just because I know we're at almost out of time, and Jess wanted me to mention this, I I just saw Hugo this last weekend, Yay. which is a great um, adaptation of the Brian Selznick book, and uh, and the trailer leads you to believe that it's about an automaton that comes to life, and that's not what it's <laughs> about. It's actually a beautiful um, adventure story set in France and based around a fictionalized account of uh, the filmmaker Georges Malou. And I recommend it very strongly. I think it, 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 my husband who hates Amelie loved it. And I, I thought it had kind of a charming Amelie undertone with nice. the cinematography and, and with the, the French setting. But, um, Jude Law and glasses for if that's all you care about too. But, <laughs> well, and um, I wanted to make a mention too, um, cause I know, yeah, we, you're right. We are desperately going over time again. Um, I wanted to mention The Artist, which is another beautifully done homage to silent cinema and um, that classic era, which mm-hmm. is actually now um, there's all this Oscar buzz about it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, there's two other films that we've talked about. I think we may have talked about before on this show, but um, uh, the wonderful Jackie Earl Haley and uh, Michael Rooker are part of these, and 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 it's Bolden and Louie, and they're kind of like a twofer deal um, uh, that were musical, um, all, only music, silent film type of thing um, about the birth of jazz and Louis Armstrong, and and um, wonderfully done, and definitely inspired by these films that we're talking about. And uh, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that a lot of these movies, like Ren said, um, you can find on um, YouTube even clips from them like you can with the Marx Brothers. You owe it to yourself if you're a movie fan to check these out. If um, I know a lot um, of younger listeners out there may not even know what we're talking about on this show with these, but this is your chance. Go back and look these guys up. If you're a movie fan, if you love great, funny stuff... Um, check these out you'll see what we're talking about when we're saying these these actors and these acts and these comedians inspired so much that you see today oh and, yeah um, it's the you, roots of all modern comedy any gag right now that you think is old and tired is they were they invented it and it's old and tired because it's a hundred years old <laughs> and uh vaudeville and broadway and um and that that was the birthplace of this stuff and um it's to this day it's some of the most beautiful art um chaplin created some amazing amazing visuals um and the pathos and the angst um that you know this little tramp created was just amazing and the marx brothers to this day some of the most classic gags you're ever going to find keaton still an icon all of this stuff it's so worth looking into 
that I want you to know the history of film and I want you to go back and find these golden oldies that there's a reason they're still around. So, Rachel, Wren, closing thoughts? Well, I was going to add my movie review in one sentence because you guys both saw new films lately and I redboxed the new Conan remake and it is a massive steaming pile of crap, so stay away. There you go. <laughs> Um, I would say let's let's encourage this revival of 1920s and 1930s aesthetics that's coming out. Once again, thank you guys for listening to us babble about something that um, you know we like to babble about, which is old school movies. And uh, I want to thank Rachel and Wren for being on board. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. And we'll have a new theme for you um, to listen to us babble about, actually. So, Rach, Wren? Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. night.